energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show back at it on a Tuesday here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We are brought to you by Fecto Homes. We go up until 6.20 today, and then we bring you Red Sox baseball. So 50-minute show, Sox baseball 6.20, first pitch 7.20. Red Sox taking on the first place Braves. The Braves are very good. They are 24-11. and 11. They've dealt with a ton of injuries, but they've withstood them all, and they are seven games up on second place in the NL East. That's the biggest disparity in baseball between first and second place in any division. Even as good as the Rays are, they were only six and a half games up on Baltimore. The Braves had the biggest difference between first and second place. We'll give you those lineups right before the pregame show, but again, we are brought to you by Fecto Homes, and we go up until 620. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026, or you can uh, watch us on YouTube Live, Facebook Live, and on my Twitter account as well, everybody. Let go! Five, four, three... Two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I think the Celtics are going to absolutely roll the 76ers tonight. I could be wrong. Of course I could be wrong. But in my gut, I feel like the Boston Celtics are going to absolutely wipe the floor with Philadelphia. I think this is a double-digit victory for the Celtics in Game 5. I think this is a convincing victory. I think the Celtics win between anywhere from 12 to 18 points. I think that it will be worse than that, and it will just end in the 12 to 18-point range. I feel that confident in what I think the Celtics are going to do tonight about two hours from now. I've got my final as 113-97. to 97. That's a 16-point victory. I think the Celtics will absolutely roll Philadelphia. Do you agree with me? 802-585-3026. I know that we're all bothered by the loss in Game 4. I know the Celtics failed to close it out. I know there's all the questions about the coaching. There's questions about, you know, the players and how they handled things. I don't think tonight any of that matters. I think tonight the Boston Celtics go out and do what they are fully capable of. I think they play at their best, and I think they win this game going away, and they're going to be one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals yet again. To me, it is that simple. My mind cannot wrap myself around any other outcome. I don't think the Celtics win this game by two. I don't think the Celtics get blown out. I don't think Philly wins this game by two. I think the Celtics, the only outcome that my brain will accept for tonight is that the Celtics absolutely roll. 
Malcolm Brogdon today came out at, at the media availability and shoot around and said he thought this game was a must win, that they had to have game five. I think the rest of the Celtics are going to treat it that way. And with that, I think will come the urgency that we often wonder about this team and will come the performance that we often want from this team. I don't think this game is close. I do not think this game is close. If I were a betting man, whatever this spread is for the Celtics, I would take it. I would take them to cover the spread almost whatever it is because I think they will be that much in control. I was talking to Lee earlier in the building, and he said, hey, Brady, the problem with the Celtics is they don't really play hard all the time. They don't play hard until they have to. Well, you know what? This is the day where they have to. This is the day where they have to play hard. This is the day. There is no more waiting. There is no more, oh, we'll turn on the switch when we have to. This is the day you have to. This is the day that it has to come out and show, and this is the day the Celtics are going to do it. There is no holding back. There is no, oh, we'll get them tomorrow. There is no, oh, we'll let them back in the series. We'll play with them. No. I think the Celtics come out in the first quarter. I think they blitz Philly. I think they get to the rim well. I think they get to the foul line well. I think they hit the three well. I can see the Celtics being up 28-16 to at the end of the first quarter and not looking back. My mind will not comprehend any other outcome. I think we'll see this team play hard. I think we'll see them play engaged. I think they'll be in it for 48 minutes. And as a result, I think they will win easily. Last year, I believe in the second round, the same round, we saw this against the Milwaukee Bucks. Celtics had a 2-2 series. They had game five at home. They blew it, lost, and had to go win game six on the road and then come back and win game seven. I don't think that happens this time. There's too much experience. There's too much at stake for me to go against the Celtics. I, I just I just believe that deep within the recessions of my heart that the Celtics win this game. I was listening to Brian Windhorse of ESPN earlier today, and he said this, that he's a little fearful here for the Celtics. They're the better team, and they've played better for a majority of the minutes, and it's 2-2. And so when you do that, you have given the opportunity for the Sixers to steal. And the Sixers have a couple of players who can have a transcendent game. You know, I don't know if Embiid is truly able right now with where that knee is, so I don't want to put to place the expectation on him. But we've seen him have a 50-point game in Boston uh, like six weeks ago. It's not like it's unheard of. He could do it. Yes, so Windhorse says the Celtics have opened up the door for Philly, and I get it. Technically, they have, but... I think the special things that Philly would need to do to win this game tonight, I don't think they're capable of doing. The door is open, but in order for Philly to break down the door, they'd have to do a lot of things special, and I don't think they can come up with that concoction to win this game. I don't trust that Joel Embiid can go for 50. Not on that knee, not on that short turnaround, not in this building. Can Embiid go for 29 and 15? Sure. Can he go for 34? Sure. Can he go for 50? No, I don't think so. And even if he did, by the way, I saw Jokic go for 53 against uh, against Phoenix, and Denver lost that game. So even if he did, they would still need more to happen. I don't trust James Harden to go for 40-plus again. We saw great Harden in Game 1. We saw great Harden in Game 4. We saw non-existent Harden in Games 2 and 3. I don't trust that James Harden can go and be great again for a back-to-back performance. 
I just don't. He's not that player right now. Not against this team, not in this series. To me, Philly would need special from Embiid. I don't know they can get it. They would need special from Harden. I don't know that they can get it. In fact, I'm confident they can't get it. I think the Celtics control this game from the tip. They shoot the three well. They get to the free throw, free throw line well. I think they'll rebound well. I think they'll play defense. I think the crowd will be behind them. To me, this is, this is not even going to be a matchup. Not tonight. I don't know that I'd, you know, look, the Celtics are the betting favorites right now to still win the NBA title. I don't know if, depending on the matchup, who if I'd pick them to win the title. They do have some flaws, but I will pick them to win tonight. And I will pick them to win easily. 802-585-3026. Do you agree with me? Kenny the Jet Smith of TNT says he believes in the Celtics in this game, in this series, in these playoffs, because he believes in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The only constant has been these two guys have gotten his teams there. You've had Kyrie Irving there. You've had other. You had Isaiah Thomas there at the point guard position. But the two constants, these are the winningest duo, man. And I don't put anything by them. Um, I, I, I believe in the Celtics because I believe in those two guys. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I believe in the now seven years, almost seven years that I've lived here, right? Seven years that I've lived in Vermont. I think the Celtics have been to the Eastern Conference Finals four times, and this would be number five if they were to get there. The constant in that, by and large, is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And that's pretty amazing. You look at all the transition on this roster, the constant has been Tatum and Brown. That's a good reason to believe in this team, right? They've done it. Now, Smart has been there too. That's Marcus Smart also. Kenny should have mentioned them or him, but whether it was Brad Stevens, whether it was Ime Udoka, whether it was Joe Mazzula, they've been they've been the constant. Whether Al Horford was here or Kelly Olynyk was here, they've been the constant. Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, they've been the constant. And I trust the Celtics tonight. I know we don't we're not in that business of trusting the Celtics much, not at least since January first, but I trust them. I trust them tonight at home in this situation. I want to know how you are feeling about them. 802-585-3026. As you text in, I want to uh, give you a quick update here on uh, something we talked about yesterday. I was talking about wanting to read a book again and trying to figure out the time and where to read a book. And I told you I wanted to read The Fountainhead, right? The Fountainhead is a book that I um, read in high school that I remember being good that I wanted to read again. And I went and looked up 763 pages. Ain't nobody got time for 763 pages. So what I did at the behest of George Thomas, you know, jazz with George Thomas, I got a book on tape. And I got the Fountainhead on tape. And I went and looked. 32 hours it would take me to listen to the Fountainhead on tape. 32 hours. Ain't nobody got time for that either. So I got the abridged version of the book on tape. Eight hours. I don't know if they're cutting out three quarters of the book or not. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I had a free download from Audible, my first free download, so I took a shot at it, and I went and got the Fountainhead, the abridged version, eight hours and 35 minutes. So that's what I'm doing. 
I wanted. To, I want the book in my life. I don't want to take the time to read 763 pages. I don't have the time to read 763 pages. But I got the book on tape, the abridged book on tape. So I know this makes me some kind of cheater to everybody, and that's great. Everybody can mock me for not reading it. Everybody can mock me for not finding time to be scholarly. That's fine. You do you. I'll do me, and I will enjoy my book on tape. I drive to and from work an hour every day. I will have I will be able to finish this book in a week and a half if I just listen to it on the way to work. And that sounds like a pretty darn good consolation for me. I just want to know how much they're going to cut out of the book to get to eight hours from 32. Text says, I agree with you, Brady. I believe that they are going to uh, come out tonight, be into it, and win. Thank you. There you go. The texter and I agree. Celtics are going to roll tonight. 113-97. to 97. That's my prediction. 113-97. to 97. And again, I think it will be more of a blowout, but it will end a little closer. I could see the Celtics being up 22 at some point in this game. 24. 84 to 60. I could see I could see that. But I got him winning by 16. It's the Brady Farkas show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com brought to you by Fecto Homes. An all-encompassing question for you to think about in the commercial break. If you were Mac Jones today, how would you feel? In all aspects, if you're Mac Jones today, how do you feel? I'll tell you how I'd feel if I were Mac. That's next on DB. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, brought to you by Fecto Homes. Texter says that, uh, Brady, I hope you're right. I hope the Celtics come out and play like they did for most of the season. Uh, I want to ask this question. It's an all-encompassing question. If you are Mac Jones today... How do you feel? And how do you feel about everything? It's an all-encompassing question. How do you feel about the draft? How do you feel about your position on the roster? How do you feel about Belichick? How do you feel about the offseason as a whole? If you are Mac Jones today, how do you feel? Here is what Albert Breer of the Monday Morning Quarterback for Sports Illustrated had to say about how Mac feels about the offense. Nervous. Um, I think if you look around the division, you can see sort of how things stack up. And I said this last night on the show. I, I think if at best, their best receiver is going to be the fifth best receiver in the division behind the two guys in Miami, behind Stephon Diggs, and behind Garrett Wilson in New York, potentially behind Gabe Davis, too. Alan Lazard's probably close to, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster and, um, and, and Devontae Parker. So, like, to me, I look at them, and, I, you know, they're the one team in the division where when they break the huddle, there's not at least one guy that you're really concerned with. I will start there because there's a lot of different parts to my emotions if I'm Mac Jones. But overall, if I'm Mac Jones, I don't feel particularly good today. Right? It's not all bad. But if you ask me what percentage of me is happy versus what percentage of me is upset, I would say I'm 25% happy and 75% upset. All encompassing. Number one. After the draft, I can't feel that good if I'm Mac. I didn't get any realistic, justifiable help. I am, If I'm Mac Jones 
and I'm looking at the draft, I'm wondering to myself, why do other teams set up their quarterbacks for success and my team doesn't? I'm sure Mac likes his teammates, and I'm sure Mac thinks that his teammates are good, but he's got to know that deep down, Joe Burrow has Joe Mixon, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase, and he doesn't. He's got to know deep down that Aaron Rodgers now has Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, and he doesn't. He's got to know that Tua has Jalen Waddell, a first-round receiver, and Tyreek Hill, a traded-for wide receiver. He's got to know that. He's got to see that. He's got to know that Lamar Jackson just got Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers. He's got to see that. He's got to see that Russell Wilson just got an offensive-minded head coach in Sean Payton and has Cortland Sutton and has a good running back crew and has Jerry Judy, and they didn't get rid of him. He's got to see that A.J. Brown got traded to Philly and Jalen Hurts goes to the Super Bowl. He's got to see that, and he doesn't have it. He's got to look around the league and wonder why he's playing behind a makeshift offensive line and with a bunch of number two and three receivers while everybody else in the AFC gets to play with caviar. Heck, even my Seahawks and Geno Smith has three top flight wide receivers now. And Mac Jones doesn't have any of it. So if I'm Mac and I'm thinking about it from a roster perspective, I can't feel that good. On top of it all, I'm looking at the offseason as a whole and wondering, why didn't you give Jacoby Myers the deal he got in Vegas? It was very affordable. You chose not to. So if I'm Mac, I'm like, we weren't big players in free agency. We didn't do anything for me in the draft. I'm disappointed big time. And to Breer's point, I'm nervous because our team and my career depend on how we play. And I don't, I look around and I don't have the horses to compete. I don't have what Josh Allen has. Josh Allen is much better than Mac Jones. He's also got much better players than Mac Jones. There's something not right in that. If I'm Mac, I'm like, whoa, that guy who already has the built in physical advantage now has the built-in personnel advantage, and here I am bringing a, you know, a pea shooter to the big fight. That If I'm Mac, I can't feel good. Now, I mentioned I'm probably 25% happy. Well, that 25% comes because I'm excited to work with Bill O'Brien. Don't get me wrong, but I'm wondering why, if I'm Mac, we're taking two steps forward and one step back in our approach. At the end of the year, Bill O'Brien gets hired. I'm pumped to work with him. I'm thinking there's a way out from the mess of 2022. I'm looking forward to 2023. I'm like, okay, we got a good play caller in here. We got a guy with Bama roots who I know a little bit, someone I'm familiar with at least enough, someone I can be comfortable with, someone who speaks my language, someone who he and I have the same principles. I'm excited to work with Bill O'Brien, but when I go out and I get no personnel help, I'm like, wait, what? When I saw Bill O'Brien get hired, I'm optimistic because I'm like, okay, this is my shot. This is our shot to rectify things. But when you go out and you give me no help personnel-wise, I'm like, here we go. Two steps forward and one step back. That's how I'd be feeling. Why are we doing this? Why can't my organization go all in on helping me in the way that other organizations go all in? Right? It doesn't always work for every organization. 
But a lot of other organizations are trying to do the best they can to prop up their young quarterback. Everybody laughed at Christian Kirk getting $18 million a year or whatever from the Jaguars last year. Went to the playoffs. They almost beat the Chiefs in the divisional round. The Jaguars, who drafted number one in the draft, went to the playoffs last year and won a playoff game, and they went out and spent massively for Trevor Lawrence. Boom. The Bears went out and traded in season for Chase Claypool. Went out and got resources in the draft. Traded back from number one to go get resources to help Justin Fields. These are people, you know, Justin Fields is in my draft class. And I'm getting nothing. Other teams help their guys and I'm not getting helped. Now, moving on part three of how I feel if I'm Mac Jones. As far as my relationship with Bill Belichick goes, I think it's probably a little better. But if I'm Mac, I am never going to fully trust him. And that's just that simple. If I am Mac Jones, I am never going to fully trust Bill Belichick. Belichick didn't trade me, so that's great. I'm happy about that. You also didn't go draft another quarterback. So I feel a little more secure, and that's very important. But if I'm Mac Jones, I'm always going to be looking over my shoulder at Bill Belichick. And that's never going to change. That is never going to change for me. I'm going to look over my shoulder. I'm going to see Bailey Zappi, and I'm going to wonder, does Bill Belichick really like that guy better than me? How long until that guy warms up on the sideline? How long until that guy gets in the game? How long until I get tapped on the shoulder to come out and that guy gets put in? And does Belichick really like him better than me? I've also got to wonder, is the only reason I'm still here because of Robert Kraft? Does Belichick even like me at all? Like, does Belichick even like me at all? I don't know. I don't know. So if I'm Mac, I'm happy that I wasn't traded. So while I do have a little more security, I'm still feeling insecure about the guy in the hoodie. And finally, number four, along those lines, the first three things all kind of go together. Overall, if I'm Mac Jones today, how I feel, I'm worried. At the end of the day, I am worried. I'm worried about our team, and by extension, I am worried about my future. If I'm Mac Jones, I'm headed into year three. After this year, that's when the fifth-year options get decided. This is the year where people in my draft class are eligible for contract extensions for the first time. This is the year that I am playing for a lot. The first two years was all about me developing within the confines of the team. This year is about me developing for me because my financial earning potential rests on this year in a lot of ways. I'm playing for my spot on the Patriots. I'm playing for my spot in the Pats' future. But I'm also playing for my future in the league. And if you think that's hyperbole, it's really not. After year three, Baker Mayfield did not get his fifth-year option picked up by the Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, he did get his option picked up, but they did not sign him long-term. Right? Sam Darnold didn't get his fifth-year option no, it did by Carolina. But nonetheless, these guys did not get did not get long-term contracts. So even if they got their options picked up, they were not shown future job security here. So this is the year where my fifth-year option 
can get picked up. This is the year where I could potentially get my money. I'm trying to avoid having my career go the same route as Baker and as Darnold. If I'm Mac Jones, I want to become Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, a guy we thought was going to be on the chopping block. The Giants did not pick up his fourth, his fifth-year option, and he ended up beating the system and getting the money anyways. That's who I want to turn into if I'm Mac. They've got questions about me, clearly. They don't necessarily, they like me, they don't love me. Well, I got to go out and I got to prove them wrong so I can get my money. And if they're not going to give me the money, then there's a real question if anybody's ever going to give me the money. This is the year where it matters for Mac. It didn't necessarily matter for Mac the last two. It was about the team. And while it's still about the team, it's now for the first time about Mac as an individual. So I'm worried. There's elements of my situation that I like. Veteran center, good running back, offensive coordinator we feel highly about. That's good. That's important. They didn't draft a quarterback. They didn't trade me. That's important. But overall, I'm feeling nervous about my future, about my money, and about how my head coach feels about me, and I'm feeling very insecure. And some of you will say, Oh, that would be soft to be so insecure. You know what? I think it's human nature to be insecure. I'm sorry. There are there are a handful of people that are good enough and arrogant enough to just believe that they've got it all and they're irreplaceable. I think most other people have insecurities about themselves and have deep insecurities and wonder deep down where they stand on things. I know I do. Look, I'm not afraid to admit it. I hate that about myself. I hate that I'm not one of those arrogant uh, guys who could just say, hey, I'm the man and everything's all good all the time. I have insecurities. Okay, I'd be looking over my shoulder if I were Mac. I've looked over my shoulder before in life. And I hate that I've done it, but I do it, and I think it's human nature. And what Mac does is far uh, far more high stakes than what I do. It would only be natural for him to feel the same way. I'd be worried. My personnel isn't great, and that's going to lead to my future potentially, and I don't know how my head coach feels about me. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. We're going to get the CBS National News Update, and then when we come back, one Boston Celtics writer goes against what I said yesterday about head coach Joe Mazzulla, and he actually makes a very valid point. Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe said something about Joe Mazzulla not calling timeout at the end of game four in overtime. And it actually made me think about my stance from yesterday. Where do I come down on it all today? We'll talk about it next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, brought to you by Fecto Homes, Red Sox Baseball. Coming up about 15 minutes from now, Sox are in Atlanta taking on the Braves, although we might be starting this one in a rain delay. I know the tarp is uh, just out on the field. We don't know that yet, but uh, we still got an hour and 15 minutes until scheduled first pitch, but I know the tarp is on the field in Atlanta right now. You can get in 802-585-3026. So we spent a lot of yesterday's show talking about whether or not Joe Missoula should have called timeout at the end of overtime for the Boston Celtics, right? Celtics didn't get the shot off. They had 18 seconds left in the game. They take the ball out of bounds after the Harden three. 
They end up not getting a shot off. Should Missoula have called a timeout? I ultimately came out and said, no, I don't think a timeout was necessary. If he had called one, fine, but I don't think it was fair to crush him for not calling one. Well, Gary Washburn of the Boston Globe made me think a little bit last night. I heard him say this. I bring this to you now. Joe has to trust himself. Okay, trust that your call during a timeout is going to be better than a set defense. What he didn't want was Doc to put in DeAnthony Melton and P.J. Tucker. Okay, he wanted Maxie and Harden on the floor. It didn't make a difference. They tripled Tatum. Forcing Tatum to make a last-minute decision to hit smart because doesn't these situations always end up with Marcus Smart in the middle of it? So it was interesting. We had heard that Joe Mazzulla didn't call timeout because he wanted to take advantage of of the Sixers' bad defenders on the floor, right? He didn't want them to get subbed out. What Washburn says is Joe Mazzulla needs to trust that he can come up with a better play call than they can have defensively. And that was interesting, and that made me think. It is a fair point, right? Washburn makes a fair point. If you're Missoula, trust that you can dial up something better than what they can put on the floor. That is fair. But for me, I still land where I landed yesterday. It made me think, but I end up in the same spot. A timeout was not necessary. Again, if Joe Missoula had called one, then okay. But a timeout was not necessary. And you know why? Because this is not middle school basketball. Not everything you do on a court should have to be scripted. Not everyone should have to have their hands held. Okay? If Joe Missoula, let me present this to you. If Joe Missoula were Phil Jackson or were Eric Spolstra and had multiple titles under their belt and had 10 years of coaching experience, and he also had a team full of 21-year-olds, then I would have a different point of view. I would say, okay, you know what, coach? You're the experienced guy here. You take control. And I would say in that situation, the hands do need to be held. If I have an experienced veteran head coach and a completely inexperienced team on the floor, then sure. If this were the Vegas Summer League, I'd be wanting to call timeout because these guys haven't been in these situations before. That would be fair, but this isn't that. This is Joe Missoula, first year head coach, who's barely older than his players, who is also who is going through this for himself for the first time, who lost his top assistant, Damon Stoudemire, to a college coaching job in the middle of the season. This is Joe Missoula coaching guys under those circumstances who have been here for five, six, seven years in the league. Al Horford, a decade. That lineup that was on the floor at the end of the game, I'm sure, had over a 1,000 starts in the NBA. Multiple players that have played in the conference finals, in the NBA finals. And Malcolm Brogdon, who had started every game of of his NBA career until this season with the Celtics. This is different. Those guys don't and shouldn't need their hands held. This is not 30-year head coach with a bunch of rookies. That would be different. They would need their hand held. This lineup shouldn't have. Joe Missoula was fine to not call a timeout, and the players are the ones who screwed it up. And I don't want to be a major blame-the-players guy, But it's a player's league, and if the players are going to get the credit, then the players also deserve some of the blame. 
They are the ones who walked the ball up the court. They are the ones who didn't get it to Tatum until 10 seconds to play or 7 seconds to play. Tatum's the one who didn't make a move until 5 seconds to play. I mean, that's the situation at hand. Joe Mazzulla, to me, was fine to not call a timeout. These guys should not have needed it. The helter-skelter, the helter-skelter nature of the end-of-game situation, I like that. You get Philly on their toes. You get them wondering what's up. I, I was fine with it. The, the Celtics players should not have had a problem getting a capable shot off in 18 seconds. Okay, The NFL needs everything scripted. The NBA doesn't. Basketball doesn't. It doesn't all need to be scripted. It doesn't all need to be choreographed. You got to let the players play, and Joe Missoula did that. We often talk about don't overcoach, let the players play. Well, Joe did that, and they let him down. Yeah, if they get a shot off and miss, then fine. But because they didn't get a shot off, everyone's mad about it. Doesn't make the process flawed. It makes what the players did flawed. And while we're at it, while we're at it, let's pass a little blame on Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown was not involved in that last play offensively, but he was involved in the play that helped lose them the game defensively right before it. If we're passing blame on players, let's pass it on Jalen Brown too. And to Jalen Brown's credit, he took blame after the game, and he should have. Because remember the situation. Sixers' final offensive possession. Celtics are up 115-113. Joel Embiid has the ball in the paint. Jalen Brown leaves his man, James Harden, in the corner, goes to double, Embiid kicks it to Harden, who hits the three, and that's your ball game. We can blame the offensive set, and that's fine. That's fair. But the defense from Jalen Brown was wrong, too, and he knew it. Just a bad read. Um, that's it. It's a, a gamble at the wrong time. And, and big shot by James Harden, but that's, that's my fault. You know, I take full accountability. Just a bad read. Again, and I appreciate that. I didn't like how Jalen Brown didn't take accountability in the Hawks series. He took it on Sunday, and I appreciate that. And that counts a lot for me. But if we're blaming players for things, that's something that deserves to be blamed. Joel Embiid has the ball in the paint. You're up two. Let him go to the basket if you have to. Let him play one-on-one. If he scores and we're tied at 115, then so be it. Okay? The two things you can't do. You can't foul him and allow him an and-one opportunity, and you can't leave the three-point shooter to go double. Let him play one-on-one. If he scores, we're tied. You get the ball, and hopefully you can get a shot off and win it. And if you don't get a shot off like you didn't, it doesn't lose you the game. It just sends you to a second overtime. You cannot allow James Harden to be left open in the corner, especially a James Harden that was shooting as well or is playing as well as he did in game four. If this was James Harden who's one for 14 or whatever from three in game two, well, then that's different. It's uh, probably not different to me, but I'd forgive you a little bit more. But when you're up by two, you can't go leaving three-point shooters because that that, that helped cost you the game. It helped cost you the game. That's a bad moment. Doesn't mean the Celtics won't win today. Doesn't mean the Celtics won't win the series. I believe they will do both of those things. But you've got to be more disciplined defensively. 
and you got to be more disciplined offensively. Texter says the boys should know what to do at the end of the game. That's true. That is true. It should not have to be scripted. Right? Sometimes you just got to let players play. Okay? Baseball is more scripted. We're going to put the game in motion. We're going to we're going to the coach is going to call the steal. The coach is going to call the bunt. Fine. It's a different game. Football's different. Hockey is unscripted chaos. Basketball is a little less unscripted, but there's still a chaotic element to it. Let it work to your advantage and trust the guys on the floor. Joe Mazzula did, and they screwed it up. Right? They screwed it up. That I mean, that's that's just the reality of it. I think the Celtics win tonight. I think they win big. I think they win by between 12 and 18. I've got them officially winning at 16. My final score prediction is 113 to 97. I think Tatum will play well. I think Brown will play. I think everybody the Celtics put on the floor tonight will play well. My mind cannot comprehend anything other than that. Really. I think they are going to be that dominant tonight. And while I think Embiid will play well, I think Harden will have another you know, another laid egg as a result of the Celtics' defense. I think they'll do a good job on Harden. All right, Red Sox baseball comes up about four minutes from now. Again, the tarp is on the field in Atlanta. We're still going to send you there at 620. No word yet on if there's going to be any rain delay. We're certainly not at that point yet. We're still an hour and five minutes away from uh, first pitch being thrown. This is a mini two-game series, and Atlanta is very, very good. Atlanta's 21, uh, I'm sorry, 24 and 11 in this one. They are seven games up on the second place Mets, and they've done it with a slew of injuries. I mean, you look at what the Braves have been through this year. Listen to this. Michael Harris II, the reigning National League Rookie of the Year, spent a lot of time on the injured list, has recently been out again. Max Fried, their best pitcher on the IL at the start of the year, He's on the IL again now, and this one's going to be a lengthy absence. Kyle Wright, the only 21, the only 20-game winner in the National League last year, maybe in baseball last year, he's out now for an extended absence. They've been out their closer, Rysel Iglesias, most of the year. He just came back. Their catcher, Travis Darnot, has been out for a lot of the year. They were out there starting shortstop, Orlando Arcia, and they've still just found a way. They're 24-11. and 11. Red Sox are hot, but they ain't that hot. They're 21-15. and 15. Right now, they are winners of eight of their last nine. Pitching matchup today is Charlie Morton, the veteran right-hander. We know a lot about him from his days with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's 3-3 with a 3-3-8 ERA for Atlanta. He's opposed by Red Sox pitcher Nick Pavetta, 2-2 with a 4-9-9. Alex Verdugo leads off for the Red Sox in right field. He's hitting 3-0-7 with five homers and 18 ribbies. Masataka Yoshida back in the two spot today. 321, six homers, 24 RBIs. Justin Turner, the DH, 265. Rafi Devers is at third. The average creeping up a bit. 250 now, 11 homers and 34 ribbies. He had a good weekend in Philly. Jaron Duran, not as hot as he was, but still hot overall, hitting 366 with two homers and 13 ribbies. He's also got four steals, which is the most in this lineup. Kike Hernandez is at shortstop, hitting 236. Tristan Costas is homeward in three of his last four games. He's hitting 163 still. He's at first. 
And Manuel Valdez is at second, hitting 324 with a homer, six ribbies, and three steals. Reese McGuire is the catcher, hitting 345 today. No homers, eight ribbies. He's the only player in the Red Sox lineup without a homer on the season. For the Braves, it's a star-studded lineup, even despite the injuries. They do get Michael Harris back today, by the way. Ronald Acuna Jr. leads off in right. He's got six homers, 21 RBIs, and 15 steals. He's on a pace for potentially 25 homers and 80 steals. It's only been done twice in Major League history. Matt Olson's hitting 246. He's got a team-high 10 homers. Austin Riley's hitting 246 as well. He's got six homers. Sean Murphy, the catcher they got from the Oakland in the offseason, he's got nine homers. He's hitting cleanup. The veteran Eddie Rosario is in left. Ozzy Albies is 26 ribbies this season. He's playing second base. Marcelo Zuna is off to a dreadful start, hitting 146. He does still have six homers, though. Michael Harris, the second, is back playing center. And Orlando Arcia is back also, just back from the uh, micro fracture in his left wrist a couple games ago. He's at shortstop, hitting 327 with two homers and seven RBIs. That's going to do it for us here on the Brady Farkas Show. Reminder, you can download the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. we got the same setup tomorrow as we wrap up the two-game set in Atlanta, so we're on for 50 minutes, 5.30 until 6.20. We'll have guests tomorrow galore. Tom Karen, Buster Olney, Freddie Coleman. I'm talking to all three of them. Some of them are going to be taped, so we'll play back some of their uh, greatest hits, but there will be three new interviews tomorrow to go to the podcast channel with. We'll see you tomorrow. Pray the rain holds off. Go Sox here on DEV.